When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Scott Soshner. And I'm Evan Novi williams And this is the Americanization of Mexican soccer sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Well, can't we say, I mean, I don't know why, I know we're going to talk about a Liga MX story, but at this point, with what's gone on with Todd Bowley and Chelsea, uh, looks like British regulators have approved that deal and we're inching toward the finish line. Can't we say the Americanization of global soccer? I think that's fair. Yeah, I I would argue that the Americanization of global soccer has happened uh, gradually over the past decade, decade plus. There there have been a handful of American Premier League owners for, for a long time now, a decade or more than that. But the Mexican soccer stuff, Scott, which you and I have talked a bit on the podcast in the past year or so, as of last year, I don't believe there was a single American investor that had ever bought into to Liga MX, the, uh, the, the, the top tier professional league down in Mexico. Now we have one in Altilas and Sam Porter. And as you and I can discuss, another one, the owner of the San Antonio Spurs, Peter Holt, who is interested in looking at uh, and, and is interested in buying another one. Uh, so yeah, I think there is between the Apollo deal that we talked about or Apollo, Apollo proposal, that we talked about last week, it certainly seems as though there are a whole bunch of smart, interested, deep-pocketed people here in the U.S. that really want to do more uh, investing into Mexican soccer. All right, and let me go elsewhere as well. You know, you got the Glazers now we see looking at an Indian soccer team. So global soccer, of course, the owners of Manchester United already. Um, But what's it about? It's about eyeballs, right? You know, we look at the U.S., and I think the knee-jerk reaction is MLS would be the dominant league on on television right now, or e, or EPL on you know NBC and Saturday mornings. But the fact remains that nothing comes close to the Mexican Soccer League when you deal Spanish language and English language. Nothing comes close. So it is not surprising. I'm going to go way back to the John Skipper adage: "Give me the eyeballs. I'll figure out how to monetize." You're not tired of that one yet, are you? I'm not. Absolutely. Okay. Not. I don't even. I, there were no David Stern stories today, so don't worry about it. We'll get to my focus group of one later. But for some some reason, I don't know why. But given the eyeballs, uh, given the demographic switches in the country, it is not a surprise that U.S. owners are finding, and particularly if we want to talk about Peter Holt, whose community is 60 plus percent Hispanic, it would make perfect sense that close to the border to own a team and probably in your perfect world scenario 
that they would move the team, actually have a Liga MX team, but move it to San Antonio. Mm. That would be the perfect world. I mean, they already have a uh, a, a soccer team the there USL in, the, team. in the USL yeah. team, right? That plays friendlies against the Liga MX clubs. But the perfect world would be to buy the team, move it to San Antonio, operate it as a Liga MX team. But I just don't believe that Liga MX's other owners would allow that to happen. Yeah, you just laid out, I think, very well the the big part of the bear the the the, the bullish case. Sorry for 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 Liga MX is that it is extremely popular. There are changing demographics here in the U.S. and in specific places like San Antonio, where uh, it is probably only going to grow more and more popular. There are some changes to way Liga MX has been structured, including a temporary, maybe permanent suspension of of relegation and promotion, which, as we've seen with Major League Soccer really helps inflate the value of clubs when there's no risk that after a bad season, you could be playing in a completely well, different did you league. See, did you see the celebration at Aston Villa? Uh, I did see the celebrate. I mean, I saw the like, celebrations across the Premier League. Yeah, Mid-game, mid everybody storms the field because they're so happy that they were clear of relegation. They're not being sent down. I would rather, I really, I'm not kidding you, unless it was two teams playing for the championship, like they're tied or one point separates, playing for the championship. I would rather watch a save relegation game than a top six, seven EPL team playing for third place or second place. It's, it's just, it's so much fun. But would you rather own a, a no, second to last no, place team no. that couldn't get kicked out or a second to last place team that had to no, win? I, to I have, <laughs> I have, it's very funny for a couple of the U S investors who have purchased EPL teams. I have kind of on a week to week basis sort of checked in, you know, and really th there's this level of insanity of, you know, on the schedule, you can look at games you should not win, you know, on paper games you should win. And then those toss up points, right? And anytime those owners or the, their teams get a point, salvage a point, or I mean, imagine get three points from a game they were not supposed to get anything from. Oh my Lord, the euphoria that exists because you get one or two of those and then the status quo, the rest of the game, you might be four or five points clear of relegation without having to have the weekly palpitations at the end of the year, right? And that's how it goes. I mean, it's not just you want to win. The difference in the ability to generate revenue from staying up in the EPL going down to the first division that's significant, and and boy, it certainly affects uh, what what folks will pay for the franchises. So, Liga MX investors are now at least protected from that downside risk for for at least the next few years, and maybe a lot moving forward. There are, they say, a commitment to new transparency in a way that didn't exist before. All of those things, Scott, we can kind of wrap into this is the bullish case for for Liga MX. The bearish case is that uh, it's still. Not all that transparent. The, the teams don't get along all that well. Right now, as we talked about a few weeks ago with the Apollo thing, all the clubs sell their own commercial rights in the U.S. and, 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 and domestically. So there are a few teams making a lot of money and a lot of other teams who maybe aren't very popular outside of their own state or outside of their own city, which, which do not get to share in the popularity of the league as a whole. There's a lot of these things, and we, we have to mention it because it's also relevant here, that fan violence. There have been a, a, a series of, of pretty bad events in Mexican soccer stadiums over the past few years, certainly the most ugly of which happened this March. The team, Querétaro, that that Peter Holt is interested in 
is has to be sold because they were hosting the match in March where there was that really, really bad incident where dozens of people were hurt and more than a dozen people were arrested afterwards. And the league essentially said, look, these owners can't be associated with this league anymore. It's now being controlled by a previous owner who has until the end of the year to sell it. So this is a forced sale and not the kind of forced sale that you want to see. So, so while we're talking about all the bullish aspects of the league, it's important, I think, to know that the team that we know that is for sale is for sale because of some of the things that have deterred, I think, a lot of overseas investors in Liga MX in the past. Now, do you think there's a torn emotional part with some of the Liga MX owners versus we know there are some Mexican-based bid groups for the team, and now here comes Peter Holt, and he's doing it as individual and uh, R.C. Buford, of course, an executive with Spurs Sports and Entertainment, also in on the bid group. But this is not SSE. This is Peter Holt individual and and group. Now, there's got to be sort of a well, we'd like to keep it as sort of you know the Mexican, the the idea of Mexico, the DNA of of Mexico. However, there sure is a lot of money, know-how, synergies, things we can utilize from SSE or at least from the people involved there. Your, your thoughts on on where they are. Yeah, I think I'm sure there is a, a group of people that would prefer uh, Liga MX teams to all stay uh, in the hands of, of Mexican investors. On the other hand there, Scott, the Liga MX has been in talks with MLS for a while about a lot of different potential business tie-ups. They talked about a merger for a while. I think that's unlikely, but they're doing more things together in, in a lot of ways. I think there, there's a group of people within ML, at Liga MX that understand that the the maybe the, the the clearest path towards a lot of commercial growth for their league is really to embrace the idea of North American club soccer in its entirety and whether that means playing more friendlies against MLS clubs maybe it's diving deeper into this midseason tournament that they just announced last week whether well, I don't want to gloss over more, that that's a big yeah. deal I mean think think when when you're selling TV rights uh, to create an entirely new property that lives outside sort of broadcast contract proper saying, all right, what else? You know, this is an add-on. What else? That's going to drive not only a tremendous amount of interest and fuel a little bit more of that these two entities should get together as one. Uh, but you know, it's going to fuel a lot of interest when it comes time to bid for it. Who wants to show this thing? Without v- question. Valuable property. Yeah, for sure. So this idea that, that and, and you mentioned at the, at the beginning there, that, that Peter Holt, if he were to buy this team, would probably prefer it to play in San Antonio. A Liga MX team that's based in the U.S. would automatically become the most valuable club in Liga MX, right? So, so there is obviously a, a tremendous amount of, of commercial opportunity here in the U.S. That, that probably comes maybe with a little bit less of the downside concern that might exist in Mexico right now. So yes, I think there's probably, you get both. I think you get some owners in Liga MX that, that would rather see it all stay within Mexico. And I think you get some owners in Liga MX who understand that maybe allowing more international investors maybe working more closely with MLS and working more closely with America as a whole is an opportunity to, 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 to make a lot more money off the asset that you hold back in Mexico. All right. You gave me a great segue. You said make a whole lot more money. We're talking about Peter Holt, who owns an NBA team. So I can now make that transformation. We heard our all NBA teams were recently announced. And the big winner, according to our Lev Akabas, is Trey Young. And do we still want media members determining who makes 35 and, uh, million and, and more and up? Uh, I've always wondered, like we never, in our, in our careers at the outlets where we've been working, 
we have always abstained from voting for things like MVP. And this is precisely why. I don't want to have a say as a journalist into who makes more money. That's just not our role. And I'm surprised that folks still do it. But uh, Trey Young, the big winner this time around. Yeah, I think this is the we talk about this, I think, every year. It's fascinating that a, a media vote like this, which is the, the top three all NBA teams, can so directly impact a player's salary. And we don't have to get into all the details, but essentially well, it's written into the CBA. Like yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's in the CBA. Yeah. If you if you make a all NBA team, if, if you then resign a contract that the max payday you can get from your team is is vastly different depending on whether you've met that criteria or not. And and you're right. I think there there's two problems here. One, and Draymond Green has been very outspoken about this. I think and I and I'm quoting here at one point recently he called it absolutely disgusting that media voting can swing and we're talking about tens of millions of dollars here can swing tens of millions of dollars into or out of a player's pocket just because of that voting. And Scott, you flicked at it as well. There's I think there's also a, a journalism ethics question here too that 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 journalists who routinely cover the NBA and cover its players should not be participating in votes that this directly affect those players economic earning potential and 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 to put a bow on this just cuz i think it's a good example uh, lev wrote in his story about jason tatum who 2 years ago jason tatum signed a 5 year 163 million dollar extension with the celtics if he had been picked for an all nba team right before that, which I'm sure he was at least in consideration for, that $163 million contract could have been a $196 million contract. We're talking about $30 million plus swings here in what athletes, NBA athletes can sign for, just whether or not they they made the team. And to make this even more insane, Tatum the year before secured more ballot votes than Kyrie Irving who made the third team as a guard, but he was classified as a forward and missed the cut at that position. So not only did, did, did Tatum miss out on this, he got the requisite amount of votes, but because of debate over whether Kyrie Irving and he were, were guards or forwards made this even more complex and he lost out on it. it, it it's so silly that this can hang not only on, a, on, on, on media votes, but also a debate about who plays what position. I'm shocked that this still exists and I think it should change ASAP. All right, so we have uh, what this boils down to is a controversy of nomenclature in in the positioning among many things, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But also, by the way, this is called this whole thing was dubbed the Derrick Rose rule. Mm. I mean, it it was a way for you to keep your player, even if you couldn't afford to pay him as much as he was probably worth, and then in like the fifth year of the contract, if he hit certain milestones, then you could give him this kicker, and and that was one of them. But there's a danger in the nomenclature as well. You're too young to remember this, but do you remember what it was called for a player who had a, a big contract and if you wanted to waive him and not have to pay the uh, the luxury tax? Do you remember what that was oh, named man. for? I, I, See, I don't I'm giving really you a little know. NBA trivia here. We're going is down it, memory lane. Is it Detlef Schrempf? <laughs> oh, no, no. De- nobody would have. Come on. Who wants to get rid of Detlef Schrempf? No. <laughs> My Lord. No, no, no. It, no it was called the Allen Houston rule. Okay, yeah. And then the, something very fascinating. So the whole thing, like you're going through all this, the Allen Houston rule, the Allen Houston rule. And you know the best part of it? When when push came to shove, 
The Knicks did not wave Allen Houston. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it became known as the Allen Houston rule and he stayed. So Yeah, I, I'm obviously all for rewarding players who are playing well and at the top of this very elite profession. And I'm all for making it easier for teams to re-sign players in that scenario as opposed to ones who want to leave in free agency. I think all of those things are are obviously great things. I think tying this all up into this being the metric and this being the very silly and non-uniform voting cal- if you talk to some of the some of the, the journalists who vote here it's not even as if they have a firm understanding of what criteria they should be using i, I think all of this needs a needs a refreshing because again it's for a number of different different ways you can look at it i think it's problematic all right i'm going to push a segue here you said refreshing i'm going to push that to refreshing Nice. That brings me to a cold Pepsi. I prefer Diet Pepsi, as you know. Well, actually, I prefer Diet Dr. Pepper. But Pepsi is officially, and we've known this is coming, but as, as coming out of the NFL owners' meetings, one thing we found out, that Pepsi renewed its deal with the NFL, its sponsorship. But the one piece, probably the highest profile piece, that they will not renew is their sponsorship of the Super Bowl halftime show. And we did a story a while back on sort of uh, the the little the little community that is the halftime show and and what it's worth and why. So Pepsi out. Who in? We know the NFL wants to probably three x what it gets for that event. Um, it's it, the NFL again. It, it never ceases to amaze. Pepsi says this is part of sort of a a bigger strategy, a, a little shift in strategy far beyond just the the Super Bowl halftime show. But uh, you and I, I think, will agree that there will be no shortage of suitors to get that isolated time when, once again, so many eyeballs are focused on the product. I, I think you and I would agree, Scott. This just boils down to economics. I'm sure Pepsi would love to have this uh, this right at the price that they were paying. And from what I understand, the NFL is asking for for two and a half to three times what Pepsi's paying. And it seems like Pepsi but what uh, am is, I paying is for a commercial these days. What am I paying? Six million, right? How much, for, what am for I, a halftime, 30, for 30, a Super no, Bowl, thirty second, 30 second spot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's six to seven million, I think. Yeah. All right, so six. Let's extrapolate. How long is halftime show? Where your branding is seen, where people will be yeah, talking about it. Yeah, it's an eighteen-minute show. Plus, you is get it a, a lot better of buy shoulder. to do the halftime show than just take your thirty-second ad? I'm sure those. That's exactly the debate that's happening in the marketing department of a lot of. Could you put up a QR existing code for like NFL partners minutes? and and not? Um, Could you do that? Could you put up a QR code for eighteen yeah, maybe, minutes and have I'm, the most successful halftime show ever? It's a good question. I can't remember during the show how much Pepsi is allowed to what they're allowed to do on screen. At the time, it's very easy, I think, to argue that the Pepsi halftime or the the halftime show at, at the Super Bowl is one of the biggest events of the year in in music. Right? It's it's getting a massive hundred, roughly hundred million, a hundred million person audience, maybe a little bit less than that at this point, maybe a little bit more. I can't remember the most recent numbers, but it certainly is probably the most watched live concert in 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 the US at least there, there's a lot of different ways to slice this and I'm sure the NFL has all this in the pitch deck uh, ways to slice this at this being a really valuable property at the same time the NFL is trying to raise the price of it 3x right and is is it that different than what it, it was three or four years ago? Who knows? So I, I'm very fascinated to see where this nets out. If this ends up with a company that's already uh, in a relationship with the NFL, if there's you and I else. disagree on this one. You you were you're like you're almost certain 
that it's going to be some company with an existing relationship that, with the that NFL. That would have been my expectation. And, and that's essentially how Pepsi kind of came into it after Bridgestone. Uh, it just seems like there's enough other synergies in there. And and obviously, there's a lot of companies that work with the NFL that are very happy with it and would like to do more. And you can always pay more to the NFL, but it's not all, all that often that there's a, just a whole new, big, high-profile sponsorship opportunity for your company with the NFL, that that doesn't come around all that much. And this is a nice, high, glossy, glitzy one. So yes, my, my gut would tell me that this is probably going to be an NFL partner, but we can see when this deal finally gets done, what it looks like and also what the price is, right? Is, is this a $60 million a year property? Maybe it is. And, and if that's true, uh, that's great for the NFL, right? To, to sell of, a sponsorship to an 18-minute segment yeah. of, of your one game and get that kind of money, that's great. Speaking of glossy and glitzy, since you util- utilize that terminology, that allows me to bring in Taylor Swift, and okay. we have a tie-in. Did you see Taylor Swift did the... Well, first of all, she had a relationship with Coke, so she never was going to do the halftime show. Okay, that's interesting. So now, you, now you're open to Taylor Swift, right? You're talking about global superstars. Maybe <laughs> we, you know, we, we call Taylor and say, hey, how about a little halftime show? Um, but she was the commencement speaker at NYU. I don't know if you knew that here, here in New York. I did not know a- that. And one of those in the purple cap and gown... Mr. Peter Schwartz, formerly of Sportico, doing a great valuation. So Look at that. just want to give a little congratulations to Peter Schwartz, who sat there and listened to Taylor's uh, the commencement speech at Yankee Stadium. And by the way, for those of you, I mean, go follow Peter on, on Twitter. If, if you don't know Peter, mass Canadian, like knows every Blue Jay trivia thing in the world, but absolutely loves the New York Yankees. And I mean, you couldn't script this any, any better. So a Yankee Stadium commencement for his for his JD, by the way, for his law school degree. And where was he sitting? Where was he sitting in Yankee Stadium because it's Peter Schwartz? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I was going to say right behind the visitor's dugout. <laughs> no, he was in the judge's chamber. Oh, that's great. Yeah, law that's school, good. judge's chamber, Peter Schwartz. It's that makes absolutely sense. perfect. All right. I, I went on a little tangent there, no, but we're allowed. It's, it's all good. I, I've got a few more NFL things. That yeah, I think yeah. Give should, me some other we NFL should tidbits. Discuss. There were some owners' meetings in Atlanta last week, and among the things that they decided on, voted on, a change in the ownership rules. Scott, I think this is interesting. I think you do as well. The NFL is essentially making it easier for longtime owners, owners who have owned teams for ten plus years, to hand these teams down to their children or to their dependent to, to 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 other people in their family. Um, I think this is. Is, again, just the, the, another example of the way in which kind of the changing economics of teams as they get so much more expensive than they were when they were purchased, the way in which the, the, the league is slightly changing its rules to make it easier for them to stay in the family. Yeah, I would say the leading reason for change of control ownership of these franchises would be estate planning. Mm-hmm. And if the NFL can in some way make it easier for a controlling owner getting up there in years to keep it in the family some way while maybe somehow getting getting some more liquidity. Um, yeah, you could see them wanting to do that. You and I are expecting to see changes in the NFL ownership rules moving forward. Like it was changed once, but right now you got the bills that, that sold for like 1.4, I believe it was. Then you had David Tepper's purchase of the Panthers Two point, what was it? Two point something, right? Two point almost, three, I believe. Two point three. All right, almost. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to say doubling, but almost doubling. It depends on the time frame. So you got two point three. Now you're looking at the Denver Broncos, and I think we all expect that to be in the four point five, maybe even starting with a five in front of it, doubling. The question is, 
four years from now, three years from now, whatever it is, will the next team be sold for 9.510? And if so, there are certainly a finite number of people, as there are right now. You know, I, I spent some time recently with Rob Walton, a very, very interesting guy. And, you know, he's among the bidders and Josh Harris among the bidders. Um, there just aren't that many folks who can come in and write the check. And if this thing, you know, these assets balloon to nine, ten billion dollar price tags, the NFL will certainly have to look at either taking private equity, which I don't think they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's enough support for that. And frankly, if they ever need an injection of capital, they could just sit around their own table and say, folks, let's do it internally, right? Why go outside? Agreed. Uh, and uh, but they'll have to make it easier for people to come in and buy these franchises. And just to get, just to do the specifics real quick of what this change means, when you buy, right now, if you buy an NFL team, the controlling owner has to own 30% of the team. Over time, if you own the team long enough, that number used to go down to 5%. So you could, if you'd own the team for 20 years, as you as the controlling owner, you could have 5%. The rest of your original 30% plus stake could be held by all of your children. The NFL is lowering that 5% limit to 1%. So essentially, if you think about the way that estate tax works, they're lowering the, the potential estate tax of handing this team down 80% in, in this process. So a, a, a slight change that actually, when you're talking about these values that you're talking about, it's got these multi-billion dollar valuations, actually could save owners a lot of money. And if you look at the ownership of the NFL, it's turned over a little bit, as you said, but there's a whole lot of people who are have owned these teams for a very long time. They're getting up there in age. I'm sure a lot of them are starting to think about their estate planning. What happens if, if, when I die or what happens if I'm not able to or, or, or want to control this team anymore? I'm sure estate planning is top of mind for a lot of owners across sports, but particularly right now in the NFL. All right, one head like nugget that also came out of that meeting was uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell saying, maybe we'll do away with the Pro Bowl. Even mm-hmm. though you get 7 million plus viewers, <laughs> you know, it's just, I, it makes so, I don't understand. You can play the all-star game in the NBA. You go, you know, go half, you know, half energy for most of it. And then you try and win at the end. Right. Um, in the NFL, you just, you can't go full board. Just who wants to get hurt in an all-star game and people do anyway. So what do you do? What's the dilemma here? You have a game that isn't all that compelling and yet. 7 million people, which is like a really good NBA playoff number, right? 7 million people still tune in. So what do you do? It's such an interesting paradox. I wonder if there's if there's any other annual telecast in America that, that the ratio of amount of people watching is so high, but also the amount of people that if you ask them would tell you that the product kind of sucks. I, I think it, it's so interesting to me that, that the Pro Bowl, I don't think I know a single person who watches the Pro Bowl and thinks it is a compelling piece of television, but I know so many people who watch it. And, and that to me is the, the crazy paradox here for the NFL is that a, a broadcast that gets 7 million viewers, and, and that's on the low end. That was an all-time low, I think, or an all-time recent low for the NFL last it year. It is wonderful to have addicted customers. Yeah, it, it, that is. there are sports leagues that would kill to have a, a, a meaningless exhibition game that draws 7 million To get million a meaningless viewers. exhibition, they'd kill to have a championship game I, that drew 7 exactly. million. Exactly. And yet, everybody around the 
the NFL and most of its fans also, I think, accept that this is a bad product that has gotten worse by the fact that players and executives are obviously afraid of people getting hurt, about the, the potential consequences of playing the game hard. And football, as you said, is not as poor that you can play it at 50 percent. It seems like such a funny, interesting little media paradox that there was obviously a very valuable property that is clearly also not working. Well, uh, I hope you spoke to our colleague Aslep Elite a little bit closer than I did because she told us we talk about pickleball. They mm-hmm. were they were down ringing the bell, you know, the New York <laughs> Stock Exchange. Yeah. So she came back uh, talking pickleball. I'm going to exhaust all of my pickleball knowledge here and then let you finish it up. Okay. Uh, I know Mark Lassery, Mark Lassery, the part owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, somewhat reluctantly, begrudgingly bought a franchise. I know Gary Vaynerchuk has a franchise. I know it's getting very popular. And I actually witnessed my first pickleball, I mean, not perfect match. I, I saw, <laughs> should we name who was on the court? Yeah, give, give me some right, names. So, well, I saw three. I, I'm trying to think who the other, but it was Harvey Schiller, I believe, was playing with David Blitzer. And Mark Locke, the CEO of Genius Sports, was on the other side, taking it very seriously, by the way. Whoa, this is like, a high power. Yeah, I, I, I would <laughs> not be surprised. I, I don't know this for sure. I thought you were going to be I, like my neighbor, Bob. No, no, no. I would not be surprised Angela. if like, Mark brought his own pickleball racket and like you know unwrapped it and was ready to go with it. You know, uh, he was taking it very seriously. But you know, I, I seems like a lot of fun catching on. I hear more and more. I know it's going to cost me what, $500,000, right? Half a mil to buy a franchise now? What What more do I need to know? Yeah, pickle, you're going to see more and more pickleball in the coming weeks and years. It is one of these sports that is at this interesting nexus where fr- from a participation standpoint, it is skyrocketing. It was once... Uh, a sport that was very popular just kind of among elderly folks in, in 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 warm weather communities who maybe used to play tennis, used to play racquetball, and were looking for a lower impact thing. The, 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 those barriers have kind of broken down now. There's tons of people of all ages that are playing it. Scott, I've played it a number of times. It, it is extremely fun. From a participation standpoint, pickleball, I think the sky is the limit in some ways for them. What that means for professional leagues, for TV contracts, things like that, who knows? So I, I, I would be very bullish on pickleball as continuing to 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 loop in and 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 grab market share from sports like tennis or sports like ping pong or shuffleboard. All those things get compared. So you're lot. still in good shape. You do your Ironmans and stuff. You yeah. you can still do the tennis and the whatever. My demo, like you need the smaller move less, but it is a lot of like darting left and right. Like I would fear the Achilles. And the, and the torn calves, as you know, I've had that in the past. See, that's my fear. That this requires sharp, quick movements, which does not lend itself well to the Soshnik athleticism these days. Yes, I think that that there's obviously a concern of that. The thing that pickleball has done really well is that people that, that are at vastly different skill levels can play against each other and have a good time. I've played with my mother before. She's I won't say how old she is. I almost did that. She would have killed me. Um, I, 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 let me guess one thing about your mother. <laughs> one thing, former Broadway actress, one thing she does not want to lose. Yes, she's very competitive. And we have fun when we're playing against each other. If my mom and I were to go out to a tennis court and try to play together, it would be the most excruciating experience for me just because the sport just doesn't lend itself that way. Pickleball is one of those sports where 
people of very different physical abilities, people of very different intensity levels, people of very different hand-eye coordination levels uh, can can exceed, can excel and have fun on the court against each other. I think that's one of the reasons why, from a participation standpoint, it has a lot of green grass ahead of it. But again, there's some smart people. Tom Dundon, the owner of the uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes, has invested. You mentioned Mark Lazary in there. A lot of very smart people are buying up professional franchises or trying to invest in governing bodies. I'm sure there will be an Olympics pickleball push at some point in the next half decade or so. All of those things sound great. It's just a question of whether interest in playing the sport translates in any way to interest in watching people who are much better than you play it either live or, or, or on television. Shout out to Nita Novi. Her son can be found on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Hi, Mom. I, I am Scott Sosh. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Soshnik. Our digital media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.